everybody, welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton, and on today's episode, Ken is taking us a little bit deeper into the things that he is sensing and feeling in his spirit uh, for this season and for this time. And uh, it should be a really good conversation about how we can prepare our hearts and how we can get ready. Hey, Ken. Uh, so thankful to be back here uh, again. And um, we just wanted to sort of piggyback off of a, um, a talk that you just put out on the, the sacred assembly and the idea of everything moving really fast and all of the different things that are going on uh, in the world. And we wanted maybe to spend some more time talking about what can we be doing as the body uh, to be prepared um, for whatever might be coming our way, uh, for uh, the you know abomination that causes desolation, as you've talked about recently, or or whatever. Uh, what what do we what can we do? Give us some pointers. Um, should we buy more ammo? I mean, t- tell us what to do. Well, yeah, I mean, you're asking me this sort of cold and off the top of my head, but I think there's a lot of things Christians can do. Uh, to be ready for what's coming. And if I'm honest, I don't think most people are doing most of them. I think people are just kind of waiting for COVID to go away and it's all going to be good. And after that, well, then we just kind of go on with life as we've known it. And I don't think life as we've known it is coming back because we live in the time of the abomination that causes desolation. I mean, I've said it every way I can think to say it. I think we're living in the preamble to the return of Jesus. And there are certain things that have to play out on the world stage. I don't want to make the mistake of crying wolf, but I also don't want to fail to recognize the signs of the times. So um, I think the first thing people need to do is wake up. And part of why I'm saying that is, you know, I did this recent broadcast on a sacred assembly there are 200, you know, apostolic leaders, I guess is what a lot of people would call them, at least in certain circles, who are banding together starting today to fast for our upcoming general election that will be held in November. And when I did my broadcast about a week ago, I said I wanted everybody that was, you know, that considered themselves part of our community to sign up. And I said, we're going to fast two days a week coming up to the start of the quote unquote real fast. And these are not hard fasts. They are sundown to sundown. So, you know, you get to eat dinner every single day, even if you're hungry during the day. You're only skipping breakfast and lunch on the you know days that you're fasting. And you're only doing that two days a week and they don't have to be back to back. And I said, you don't even have to make this the same two days every single day of the six week preamble but it is 12 days of what we might call a Jewish fast or a biblical fast, which is traditionally sundown to sundown. And then I said, starting on the 13th of October, which is a Tuesday, and for three weeks following, ending on November 3rd, which is election day, um, I would like it if people would go on a 100% water fast. And I made all kinds of disclaimers and qualifiers. Anyone who listens to that broadcast, it's available on YouTube, Uh, under my name, Ken Fish. 
uh, would hear me say again and again, if you have a medical reason you can't do that kind of a fast, don't. If you start the fast and you have to work or you otherwise find you can't sustain it, then here's how to kind of back off of a pure water fast so you keep yourself operational and still participate in the fast. And we kind of had three levels of backing off. Go on clear fruit juice, go on fruit juice that is not clear, and then finally add some vegetables to your diet. But the point is, yeah, we, we are actually denying ourselves. We are actually trying to, as we might say, afflict our flesh. We are actually trying to say no to the demands and appetites of our nat natural human whether we be a man or a woman. We are actually looking to do that. And in that sense, fasting is not intended to be fun. It's not intended to be a joy ride. But it is intended to connect with God and cry out for the well-being of this nation because I have a deep concern, and so do these others that are participating in this fast. I have a deep, deep concern that we are going to see heavy violence in this country leading up to the election and even beyond it. And, and that, by the way, would be true irrespective. Hang on, I need to turn off my notices. Hold on just one second. There, all right, no more notices. Anyway, um, so I said, you know, there, there are ways to back off of it a bit if you want to, but no, you're not gonna be eating meat. No, you're not gonna be eating, you know, chocolate or drinking wine. You're not doing any of that. And the level of engagement that I've seen so far, at least, you know, within my own little group of people, it's not, I mean, compared with many, it's not big, but on the other hand, we, if we were a church, we would be easily a mega church. I've been, if I'm honest, very disappointed. I'm very disappointed with the level of engagement of people who have signed up and said, yeah, I want to participate in this and cry out for the well-being of our nation. And I was very clear, we are not praying for Trump to win nor are we praying for Biden to win. We are praying that our nation would be kept safe and spared violence. And the level of engagement is, if I am honest, pathetic. And I know that's kind of a blunt and candid way of putting it, but that's why I say the very first thing people can do to get ready is to wake up and stop thinking that everything's just going to go back to normal and the party will resume and the stock market will keep going up 2,000 points a month. And, you know, everybody's going to be getting rich and interest rates will stay low and we'll all be buying and selling houses. You know, Jesus said in the last days, it'll be like in the days of Noah. People will be mar uh, marrying and being given in marriage. And there will be, uh, you know, all kinds of just going on with a normal course of things. And, and I honestly think that a great part of the American church is living in denial of the seriousness of the times in which we live. Now, I'm being really candid and blunt, but that's because I just looked at the numbers and I thought, this is, this is appalling. It's, it's, it's shocking to me that this is all the level of engagement we have. Yeah. Well, I do think, I, I think people, it's almost they've been rope-a-doped into a slumber. Maybe, maybe in March and April, everyone was pretty uh, engaged in all this sort of thing, but it just continues to drag on. And uh, people are, I know people are losing track of days of the week. Uh, and it's just, it's a very strange time. Um, and if it makes you feel any better, I didn't sign up because I didn't know I was supposed to sign up, but we're participating. Our church is participating. So I'll go sign up. Uh, right. All right. Well, I mean, there may be, there may be that, but you know, again, the thing that I, you learn this when you do a lot of digital broadcasting of the type that we're recording right now. Um, a lot of the time we see that people don't really pay attention 
even when they're watching broadcasts, which they probably aren't just watching the broadcast. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a narcissist and I don't think people need to hundred percent focus on me and everything that I'm saying, but, but there is something of this where, um, you would like to think when you say something multiple times and in different ways, trying to make sure that it sinks in, that people are paying attention enough that they realize, oh yeah, this is what he's saying. And so, um, you know, I, I did tell people, and I, I'm not so much talking to you, Grant, about this, but but I'm, I mean, we're talking thousands of people who listen to these these broadcasts, and I said it really, really clearly that we'd like you to sign up, and the reason is. As I said, there's about 200 of us that are, you know, trying to drive this initiative forward through whatever channels we're using. And our goal is nothing less than to get 20 million Christians fasting for the three weeks ahead of the election. 20 million Christians in the United States. Well, we have about 320 million people in our country. So this is something like 6% of the nation we want to have on a fast that our country would be spared a new civil war and racial violence. And again, we're not, we're not saying vote Trump. We're not saying vote Biden. We're just saying pray for peace because our cities are burning and there's violence everywhere. I mean, I have friends that were at the, uh, I'll just say the conventions, plural. And it doesn't matter if you were at the Republican or the Democrat one, it was unsafe as you came outside the building because of the level of protest, the level of agitation. And in many cases, the police were told by their mayors, stand down, don't, don't arrest anybody, don't get in the middle of this. And I'm like, well, then why even have the police out there? So, you know, we, we're in a very, very precarious, volatile time, and I don't think people realize it. So, so just, just to get clarity on where you're at, uh, you really do think that we're on the verge of something pretty devastating. I think it could happen, yes. I, think about it this way. Think of a matrix, right? So we've got an x-axis and we've got a y-axis. And on the x-axis, there's two outcomes. Biden wins, Trump wins. And on the y-axis, we've got narrow victory, landslide victory. So we now have four boxes, four possible outcomes. Everything else is commentary. All right, if Trump wins, whether by a narrow margin or a landslide, America burns. We already know this because in 2016, America burned when Trump won, and the, the sentiments are much more inflamed now than they were then. And we've also had, you know, George Floyd, and we've had, you know, Breonna Taylor, and I mean, we've got all kinds of stuff that has made this worse. And I'm not saying Trump's to blame. I'm not saying Trump's not to blame. I'm just saying in a lot of people's minds, Trump is associated with this. And if Trump wins, whether narrowly or by a wide margin, America burns. <clears throat> now let's move over to Biden. If Biden wins by a landslide, I think there'll be rioting of the type that we see when, say, one of the big you know, football schools wins a bowl game and the fans come streaming onto the field and they tear the goalposts down. Now that's not per se violence, but it is destructive and it is kind of wanton, wanton, what do you want to say, rummaging that goes on in a setting like that. And I do think that if Biden wins by, by a clear margin, I think we may see exactly that kind of rioting. I'll call it victory rioting. And if Biden wins by a narrow margin, Trump will probably contest the election 
may he's already said i don't know if he meant it but he has said you know i i may not vacate the white house i may stay in power while this is adjudicated it'll end up in the supreme court that will be factious it was when george bush won in the supreme court against al gore and again we're in a much more volatile time and so in the midst of all that while the recount is going on america will burn so no matter which way this election falls i think america is at great risk of domestic violence civil unrest and yes it's a, it's a big loaded term i know but i'm going to use it again i'm going to double down on what i said on my webcast on YouTube, there is a, a real risk of civil war. And it'll be a race war. And we've seen this happen before. Not so much in America, but think about what had happened in Zimbabwe. Think about what happened almost in South Africa. And, and in some cases, it, it did in pockets, although Nelson Mandela did everything he could to tamp it down and keep it from becoming all that it could. And in terms of a civil war, we've had one. And, you know, that was 150 years ago or 60 years ago, admittedly. Okay, fair enough. But the point is, it's happened and it could happen again. So all of this sort of, it, it could never happen here. This is just wishful thinking and fantasy. And all you need to do is look at what's happening in Portland. Look at what happened the other night in Washington, D.C. Look at what's happening in Seattle. Look at what's happening. Wake up, people. Wake up. It's that big of a deal. And I know I'm being pretty intense. And when we've done podcasts before, I haven't been this wound up, but I really feel the burden of the Lord on this. If the people of God will call out and seek the face of God, and this isn't just, you know, Seek the face of God and God will heal the land. I, I don't want to move in, even get to God will heal the land. I think he will, but that's not the point. We have to seek the face of God. We have to humble ourselves. We have to pray. We have to confess the sins of our nation. We've got to confess our own sins. We've got to confess our own complacency. And, and we have to go before the Lord in a sacred assembly and say, Lord, would you please have mercy on this nation before it disintegrates into, into violence and a race war? because I think we are at the doors of it. And by the way, I'm not alone. That's why we have 200 other people that are involved in calling their own movements and congregations and whatever they lead into the same kind of a fast. No, you're, you're certainly not alone. I mean, I, that's the thing that I think is so alarming is we're hearing this coming from so many different sources and so many different types of people. Uh, I mean, I just even think, I mean, Rick Joyner has been talking about this forever. Yep. Uh, yes. We're heading, and so yeah, I, I don't think uh, you're you're out here on your own um, doing something. But um, so so t do me a favor. Let's t can you talk to people? Let's talk to a couple groups of people. Can you talk to church leaders? Uh, and and you know if they had a one on one, they could, you could you they could go to coffee with you, and they'd say, Ken, what what do you think we should be doing right now? Um, and then maybe talk to the people that aren't in leadership. They just there's someone somewhere. Uh, they're a believer. There's, they may be afraid, they may be uh, whatever, and, and talk, talk to them as well. So maybe address the leaders first and then um, talk, talk to the people that aren't are local positional leaders in a church or whatever. Well, so I said the first thing to do is wake up. I never really got off of that one. But I think other things that people can do is they need to establish a discipline of spirituality. I mean, I think the single most important preparation we can have is spiritual, to draw near to the Lord. 
And, you know, I, I know because I talk to a lot of people and I know the things that challenge me personally every day. I mean, people may look at me as some sort of a religious leader, but the fact of the matter is I face many of the same challenges other people face. And it can be enormously difficult to have a consistent quiet time for even 30 minutes a day where you're praying and reading the Bible and spending time with God. But we need to develop spiritual depth, and the only way to do it is to do it. And so if it means you don't eat breakfast or you skip your workout or you uh, get up half an hour earlier and fast some sleep or go to bed a little bit earlier each night instead of staying up and watching whatever you like to watch on later night TV, uh, whatever that means, however you get there, do it. Just do it. Just be a Nike commercial. Just do it. Stop making excuses and do it. We need the people of God to become the people of God. This is like Christianity 101. And then the third thing that we need to be doing is we need to be preparing. And, you know, David, David, Dana, Dana Coverstone has released a series of dreams that he has had, and he does not appear to be relishing doing this job, but <clears throat> I guess he feels, you know, constrained of the Lord, bound over by the Lord to articulate the things that he has been seeing and whatnot in, in his own, you know, dream life and so forth. But he has said, brace yourselves, brace yourselves, brace yourselves. And I actually think that Dana Coverstone's word is, words, plural, are substantially right. I mean, I may not agree with every single thing, or I might think that some of it is more symbolic than literal. But Dana Coverstone, in his most recent one that I've seen, I think I, there was a new one that came out just in the last day or so that I haven't seen yet. But the most recent one that I've seen that, I, that came out about a week ago, uh, he was talking about how come October, things are going to start descending into chaos. And he was talking about seeing the federal, state, and local officials where they had what appeared to be um, firecrackers or fireworks on their head. So the federal officials, it was like an M80. So that would be kind of a cylinder that's fairly thick and I guess maybe going side to side like that. The state level officials had what, you know, the kind of firecrackers that are about an inch and a half long and they're, you know, about that big around. And then the, the, the local level officials had firecrackers on their heads and they were what we might call lady fingers. And so they're maybe a half inch long. But the point is all of these are explosive. And so what Dana Coverstone was saying is that about mid-October, the heads of the federal, state, and local officials are going to begin to explode. And we use that turn of phrase, their heads are exploding. So, um, and with that, uh, there there is kind of a rise of people on the street buttonholing and cornering people and saying, hey, you aren't raising the fist or protesting as you should be. You aren't vocal enough in support of whatever, you know, we're rallying around at this immediate moment. And there's been some footage that's come out, video footage of various cities in the United States where all of this is already happening. And uh, then there was a whole thing about, you know, what's going to happen with the votes. And so, again, this is neither pro-Trump or pro-Biden, but this is not how we have traditionally thought of America running. And this is, a, this is an apocalyptic scenario of our country descending into anarchy and chaos. And so um, what we have to do in the face of that is brace ourselves and get ready. Well, what does that mean? Well, it could mean a lot of things. 
But here are here are just here's a kind of a laundry list, and people can react to this in whatever way they deem appropriate. But number one, if you need medical supplies, you better make sure you have them on hand. And I don't mean like a week. I'm thinking, you know, if this if the world gets really ugly, you probably want at least a month worth of supplies on hand, maybe two or three. I don't know. I don't know how long it could go, but you better prepare and have medical supplies on hand if you need that. Uh, you better have some food around of whatever sort you think you need to have, whatever that means for you. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what it is. I think we all know from last COVID lockdown, you better have a lot of toilet paper because you won't be able to find any of that. Um, you may want to buy a generator. You may want to stockpile water. You may want to have candles or batteries or flashlights or radios. I mean, I don't know. You, you decide what you think that means. If you are a person who feels comfortable with the concept of self-defense, you may want to buy a gun if you don't have one. And if you do have one, you want to buy more ammunition. Again, your choice, but you need to think about contingency planning. You need to be thinking about what happens if our civic infrastructure breaks down? What happens if I'm confined to my house? Never mind work. I'm talking survival now. What happens if the roads are cut? What if the electricity goes out? What if the water isn't working or becomes undrinkable? What if, and you may say, gosh, Ken, you sound like a prepper. I'm not a prepper. I'm just saying when the world gets ugly, these are the kinds of things that people need to be thinking about. And all you need to do is look at countries where this has happened. Look at what happened in Nicaragua after their big earthquake or in Armenia after their big earthquake or Iran, or look at what's happened in Lebanon just in the last couple of weeks in the wake of that gigantic explosion they had of ammonium nitrate down at the port. And all the people who, you know, they didn't have food, they didn't have, I mean, their homes were damaged or destroyed. What does that mean? And you need to think about that and think seriously and pray and say, Lord, how would you have me prepare so that my family is ready for survival? And so, no, I am not a prepper. No, I'm not waiting for the zombie apocalypse. But, but if the world becomes that level of anarchic, you will be really glad that you took what I'm saying to heart. And if it doesn't, then you have 12 cases of green beans and you can eat them up over the next year and you'll be sick of green beans after a year. But, you know, the food won't go bad. The money won't be lost. But you, if, on the other hand, you need that food, you will be really glad you've got it. Talk, talk to me real quick because here's the things that I've heard people say. Can you, can you just, I mean, two minutes on, uh, hey, Ken, I thought all prophecy was supposed to be um, uplifting and good news and, uh, and all that sort of thing. So what's the, base, what's the biblical basis for this? Uh, I think I know the answer, but can you just tell us? Yeah, I can. Um, I think there's plenty of places in the scripture where prophets gave warnings of things that were coming. Jeremiah, I mean, we even use the term Jeremiah in modern English, even to this day, to speak of somebody who's, you know, kind of dour and gloomy in what they are prognosticating. Um, but Jeremiah coming into the collapse of Jerusalem in the, you know, at the siege that the Babylonians laid to that city 2,500 years ago, uh, many were saying, the Lord's going to rescue the city. It's going to be fine. And Jeremiah was saying they're prophesying out of their own minds. They're prophesying from vain imaginations. Vain in this case, meaning not so much preening and proud, but empty. So they're, they're prophesying out of things that they're imagining in their own head that are not from the Lord. That's what Jeremiah said. And of course, those that said the city would be fine and, and Nebuchadnezzar would withdraw, they were proved wrong. Uh, it, uh, Jerusalem did capitulate. 
and Jewry was taken into captivity and thus began the, the exile of Judah, um, which, you know, there's a whole history behind that. I don't want to just launch into the recitation of history now, but the point is Jeremiah was right. And sometimes people say, well, but God doesn't function that way in the New Testament. He only did that in the Old Testament. That, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because when we look in the pages of the New Testament, we see a certain prophet named Agabus. And it says that, an, that the, uh, the prophet Agabus came down from Jerusalem and he predicted that a famine would overtake the entire Roman Empire. Now, that's not a happy prophecy, but if it's realistic and right, then it is what it is, even if it's not a happy prophecy. And guess what? That famine did actually occur. And it says because of that, the saints that were uh, where Agabus was prophesying, where they heard the word, they took up a collection and they sent relief. They sent money to the church in Jerusalem in order that the church in Jerusalem would be able to survive. So in the face of these kinds of dour words, sometimes you need to weigh them and say, there may actually be something here. I need to prepare for that. And that might have a number of dimensions. Maybe I'm supposed to send relief to, you know, people that I know, missionaries or ministries or others who may come under hard times. You may say, well, I don't, I don't have enough for, to support myself. Where am I going to give any away now? Well, we see the story of the widow in Zarephath, and Elijah is sent to her in the book of First Kings. And there's a famine on, and she's preparing to prepare her last meal and die. And Elijah says, don't do that. Uh, start filling the jars and go sell what you have and you'll have, you'll never run out. And so God provides for that widow of Zarephath miraculously. And I'm hearing stories right now. I'm hearing stories of people who notwithstanding that they are taking these times very seriously, they're maybe giving money here or providing a, some sort of physical, you know, gift. Maybe it's flour or rice or whatever to people that they know are less privileged than they are trying to help them out. And in, I would just say, strange and wondrous ways, which many would call miraculous, those very people who are exercising that generosity in this preamble period are finding that, I will say, strange and wondrously, again, God is providing for them above and beyond that which they gave away. Now, is God going to do that every time for everyone? I can't say that. I don't want to promise that. That would make me more like a prosperity preacher. But I do know God has a way of taking note of what people are doing. And if we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, the scripture says God will provide for us. And if there's anything in what I just said there that causes you to kind of choke and go, well, uh, I, I don't know, I, you know, that's kind of fanatical, right there you know you've got a problem in your relationship with God and you've got a problem with unbelief. That's your diagnostic right there. There, you can start your, your spiritual preparation there with repentance. Mm. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, even uh, if you flip a little bit past Agabus in the, uh, in the New Testament, uh, we see Jesus uh, in the book of Revelation having some not, uh, not very hopeful words for a lot of people uh, around the, uh, you know, second, third, and fourth uh, chapters there uh, of Revelation. So it does seem to have some New Testament uh, precedent uh, there as well. So, um, Good stuff. I think I think a lot of people need to be hearing this, and I, I do think there's a lot of bad teaching on what prophetic things are supposed to look like. And so I, I've I've met several people that are in confusion on what do we do and how do we take these different words because there are a significant amount of people that are 
maybe prophesying that things are going to be great and um, it's all going to get even better. So I think this is important. Um, well, I'm on record. Um, again, you can watch this YouTube video on my YouTube channel on the abomination that causes desolation. And I've been, I've been very clear that I don't think things are going back to quote unquote normal. And I think COVID was the first opening move of what Jesus termed the beginnings of sorrows in his sermon on Mount on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse. And just to be clear for those listeners who are unfamiliar, the Olivet Discourse is not the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapters 5 and 6. The Olivet Discourse is in Matthew 24 and 25. And Jesus is talking about what will be the signs of the coming of the end of the age. And he talks about wars and rumors of wars. He talks about unrest. He talks about uh, famines, plagues, and pestilence. So I think COVID, you know, it's the first global thing like this that we've seen in, well, at least 100 years. People say it's unprecedented. It's actually not unprecedented. And in fact, some of the earlier ones were far worse than COVID, believe it or not. I'm not trying to minimize COVID. I'm just saying we do need to keep some sense of perspective and look at kind of objective benchmarks. But we haven't had anything like COVID in at least a century. And, uh, and now we have this global pandemic. And at least thus far, science has not been able to get it under control. They're trying, but thus far anyway, they've not been able to. Maybe they'll get that vaccine or that serum, but at the moment, no, we don't have it. And so we're looking at a thing with COVID that has really, I mean, it's overwhelmed all of, the, all of our countries, every single one. Um, we, it has shut down the economic production of the world. People are suffering, people are struggling, they're hungry. And Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, back to your point, Grant, he said, if those days had not been cut short, and then he says, and the Father will do it for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those who name the name of Jesus and follow him, I would say wholeheartedly and authentically. I'm not talking about surfacey level Christians that are really hypocrites. But if, if the Father had not cut short those days of difficulty because of the elect, because the Father gives favor to the elect, if that were not to have occurred, Nobody would survive it, meaning it would be a complete end to the human race. That's how bad it's going to get. So in the scheme of things, it isn't anywhere near as bad as it's going to be. Mm. Not to be a prophet of doom, but I mean, seriously, this, I'm, just, I'm just telling what the Bible says. I'm not even prophesying out of, you know, here's the revelation that God gave me. I'm just, I'm just reciting what's in Scripture. Sometimes you can read the scripture and look around and make some inferences that, uh, that maybe you don't have to be a, a capital P prophet uh, to, to see. So uh, I think this is good. Um, help us. Uh, there might be people and just spitballing here that are listening to this in their car. Uh, right now they're afraid. Um, what would you say to them, even pastorally? Like, I know you're not a pastor, you're not their pastor, but what, what do you say to those people? Because it is overwhelming. There are some very uh, scary things in the news. And, uh, and so um, how should they be thinking? How should they be praying? Um, you know, maybe they already are pressing in because sometimes fear does that. There's, there's no atheists in foxholes. And, uh, and so, but, but how should they be uh, handling themselves? And, and what would you say to them uh, in this time right now? 
Well, um, I guess the first thing I would say is if you aren't, if you aren't sure that you are a squared away with, with God, the father, this would be a really good time to do that because the scripture makes it clear that there's two classes of people on earth. I won't say races. That's too loaded of a term, but there are two groups of people. The first group are the elect, those who follow God and know him and are known by him. And the second are those who do not. And so if you're on the other side of the line in category two, get yourself across the line into category one. It will give you not only eternal life, which is itself enough reason to believe, but it will also give you favor in the eyes of God. And in times like this, you may well find that you need that favor. And, you know, go back to what I said, but for the sake of the elect, if God hadn't cut the days short of these afflictions and tribulations, no one would survive. So if you are one of the elect, you will find that in strange times and unexpected ways, God will intersect your world and will provide and do things for you. It may not be as much as you want. It may be still a very difficult road to hoe. I'm not saying it's all going to be easy and you'll be spared everything. I would be a fool to say that. But I am saying that you will find that God is on your side. And on the other hand, if you are a, some sort of a lax or backslidden or weak Christian, this is a really good time for you to start taking God seriously. Start reading his word, go to church, meet with your pastor, buy some devotional books that you start using regularly to strengthen yourself in the Lord. I mean, there are some of these things that you simply cannot have anyone else do for you. You and only you can do them. So, you know, it's a little bit like, I don't know, brushing your teeth or combing your hair. I mean, I'm aware if you're an invalid, yeah, sometimes people's teeth get brushed by their caregiver or their hair gets combed. But for the most part, nobody combs my hair and no one combs your hair. No one brushes your teeth, not even our wives, uh, other than ourselves. We are the ones who do that. So there is a certain amount of this where you actually need to take yourself in hand and say, I am done living like a, like a heathen or a half-baked Christian. I'm just, I'm through it. And so that's another thing you can do. And then the other thing you can start doing is, you know, with the resources you have and the time you have, if you owe anybody restitution or you've done something wrong and you know you've done it wrong and, and you've sort of moved on and just kind of pretended it never happened or papered it over or conveniently pushed it to the back of your mind and said, well, you know, I don't have to think about that. If you're in any of those camps, well, it's time to lose that too. <clears throat> and make restitution and set the record straight because at the end of the day, you're going to give an account for every deed you did in the body, every single thing you ever did. And the only way that you can clear the record of some of those things that you may have done is to go back and make them right, undo them, if you will, to the extent that they can be undone. So you don't need to be in fear. You don't need to live in a state of anxiety you can live in a state of confident expectation that God will be there for you and will carry you through difficult times. You'll still go through them, but, but you know, he'll carry you through difficult times. I think that's, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to expect. But here's the thing. There's a, there's a, there's a <clears throat> saying in the book of Second Chronicles, and there's a king uh, of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, and his name is Asa, A-S-A, -A, Asa. And uh, during his time, um, Judah is attacked by the king of Ethiopia named Zerah. Zerah comes with a million troops and 300, of, 300 uh, chariots, which would have been, you know, sort of the equ ancient equivalent of a tank. Uh, 
And Judah is able to muster an army of about half of that, not quite, uh, or a little bit more than half, excuse me. So they, they've got, they're outmatched roughly two to one, and they're going out to fight King Zerah. And Asa is a mostly righteous king. He's one of the better ones. He's, he's not perfect, but he's one of the better ones. And the Spirit of the Lord stirs up a man um, named uh, Azariah, and the Spirit of God, Azariah the son of Oded. And the Spirit of God comes on Azariah the son of Oded, and he goes out to meet King Asa. Now remember, Asa's a mostly righteous man, and he's, he's going to face a very, very difficult situation. And the word of the Lord that, that, king, uh, that Azariah gives to uh, King Asa starts out this way. It says, hear me, King Asa, and all Benjamin and all Judah. So this is not only a word for the king, it's a word for all of the people of God. And he says, here's the word of the Lord. I am with you when you are with me. And so if you want God to be with you and you want God to protect you and you want to triumph in these difficult times and you want to overcome all that is about to descend upon this world, the only refuge you have, the only real comfort and hope you have, the only rock to which you can flee, the only fortress into which you can climb ultimately is God himself. And it will do you no good to name his name and be living a life that is contrary to that. So you need to have your life be consistent with your profession. And that's why you need to be taking inventory and cleaning up any unfinished business. That's, that's really good. And even, even in that, I mean, if I'm thinking pastorally, Ken, you may go through very, very difficult times. Uh, just because uh, you're, you're on the side of God doesn't mean uh, that you're, you're going to escape all suffering. And uh, a quick glance uh, through Fox's Book of Martyrs would sort of paint the picture of, of really incredible people uh, that, that did some amazing things for the Lord, but ultimately got the reward on the other side uh, of eternity. And so uh, even still, um, you know, we're, we're not guaranteed the next breath. And uh, we do take that very for granted here uh, in the Western church for the most part. Yeah, I, think we, yeah. I, I think it is good to say, listen, your hope is built on nothing less, uh, but Jesus Christ and, uh, and his righteousness. And so, uh, if if our hope is on Jesus, uh, then then we'll be with Him. Uh, maybe this side, uh, maybe the other side, but uh, but that is an unshakable foundation uh, that we can build upon. Um, Ken, as we as we leave uh, this discussion, and um, people may may be thinking through their minds or whatever, would you mind? Can we, can you pray over those that are listening right now and? Um, and even just that faith would arise to begin, it's hard sometimes to make that transition from uh, lukewarm uh, to, to, you know, a completely sold out believer. Some would even say it's impossible, but through the, the powering of the, of the Holy Spirit. And so um, can, you, can you pray a prayer that, that maybe faith would begin to arise and, um, and that people would begin to start catching hold of the vision that God has for their lives and what their lives are supposed to, supposed to look like? Sure. Yeah, no problem. All right. So let's all pray. If you're, if you're driving, obviously keep your eyes open, but, uh, but, you know, focus on the prayer as you drive. Uh, 
And if you are not driving, I would really encourage you to stop what you're doing. Just stop doing your email for a moment or your Facebook or Instagram or whatever other thing you might have in front of you while you're listening to this broadcast. And even if you're folding clothes or you're in the bathroom getting ready for work and you're brushing your teeth or combing your hair, whatever it may be, just stop for a moment. We're not going to pray very long, but but let's give our concentration to the Lord as we as we pray about this. So, Father, we come in the name of Jesus, and we just want to ask you, first of all, that you would awaken us, that you would stir us to a holy devotion, and that we would uh, that we would hear the trumpet blowing. Joel said in his prophetic word, "Sound the trumpet," and the trumpet was blown in times like this as a symbol of national emergency and alert. So, Lord, we want to sound the trumpet. We want to blow the alarm, and we want to say, "Wake up." And so, Lord, would you awaken us and would you put a sense of urgency in our souls for the times in which we live? Father, the other thing we just confess that we have often been lukewarm, half-hearted. We've just not not really gone after the things of God as we might have. And uh, there have been many things that have distracted us. We've been, as we say, at ease in Zion. And a lot of it has to do with materialism and busyness. But many times it's the appetites of our own flesh, whether it be for food or sex or whatever. But, Lord, there are many of these things that have come between us and you. And we ask you, forgive us for having idols. Forgive us for having things that stand between us and you and a true and pure holy devotion. And, Father, I pray as well that you would, uh, that you would stir us and awaken us, that we would become people who, in sensing the urgency, would say, I am going to sound the alarm myself, and I am going to fast and pray and seek the Lord. And for those of you for whom this is this has hit home, again, all we ask for is that in the next six weeks, starting today up until October 13, you pick two days a week. It could be any two days, and you can move them around. It doesn't need to be the same two days week to week. But you're going to fast two days a week from sundown to sundown. So again, there'll be no day that you don't get to eat. It's just, uh, you know, you'll be hungry at dinner time on those two days. But I really want to urge you that way. And so, Lord, I just pray for those that are thinking about what I just said. I come back to you again in prayer, and I ask that you would lay it on their hearts. When should I fast? And that they would pick two days and that they would engage in fasting for the safety and the, uh, the stability and the endurance of our republic, that we, would, that we would survive as a nation. And then, Lord, there are some of them I know that, that really need to enter into this water fast of, of 21 days. And I would, I'm going to switch off of praying again and just exhort you for a moment. Um, I'm going to do another broadcast on Facebook very shortly on how to fast for an extended period like 21 days. You may want to watch for that, and you may want to listen to it. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel, and if you do, you'll get a notice when I put it up but it'll be a specifically a broadcast on fasting so you'll understand how to do it and what to expect. All right, so Father, if there are many that need to be stirred and called to this 21-day fast, and I ask that you, would, that you would give them great breakthrough and insight, I pray that they would be able to get a hold of you and find contact with you as they pray, and I ask that this would become a point of breakthrough for them personally and for our nation collectively. Father, I thank you that you've given us the ability to do these things and to find breakthrough And I ask for everybody that is here that their hearts would be encouraged because Jesus said this, when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up for your redemption is drawing near. Father, we know the days of his coming are very near. And all of these signs we've been talking about are are indicia that these things are very near. They are nigh at the doors. 
And so I ask, Father, that you would give us that confident hope and expectation that soon we will be with you and we will be with him and we will be in glory and it will be marvelous. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you give us a hope for not only this world, but the one that is to come. We walk confidently in that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ken, thanks so much. And we look forward to uh, to spending some more time with you uh, next episode. All right. God is Not a Theory is a podcast of Orbis Ministries. For more information about Orbis Ministries, go to orbisministries.org. If you have questions you'd like to have Ken answer on the podcast, please send us an email to podcast at orbisministries.org. Thanks for listening.